You're listening to Frankly Earnest, hosted by Sam Christie, co-host and producer, Allie Hall. here with Sam. And Allie. Hello, Allie. Hello, Sam. I I love how when you say hello, Sam, you sound surprised. (laughs) I didn't even notice I sounded surprised. No, I don't know. I feel like it's anyway. That's funny. That's funny. Hello, Sam. Hello, Sam. It's a good energy. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Um, And I'm always a little bit shocking, you know, so that's that's scans. Yeah, it, it checks out. Yeah, I mean, I guess I'm I'm having one of those um, one of those really introspective um, uh, self questioning days. You know, what are you thinking about today? Oh, you know, just um, the way that um, the way that uh, childhood trauma kind of hangs with me. Um, the way it's, I'm thinking about how it's hard for me to give people the benefit of the doubt. It's hard for me to, it's easy for me to feel like I don't belong, like I'm out of place, like, um, like if I, you know, like I, if, if, if something happens strange between, between people, um, this last night, my, my girlfriend and I had a conversation and, and there was a miscommunication and there was um, something she said really like just sent me um, down the, the wrong road, you know, mm-hmm. um, and I, you know, I get into, um, I get feeling like there's something um, irreparably wrong with me um, when I react. And I mean, I don't, you know, like I don't hurt people like my dad but I do kind of um I do kind of tend to flee and shut down um so you know we kind of went through that last night would you say your response is typically to shut down and like uh you know the fight or flight it's flight for you not fight um yeah yeah uh yeah well I used to to freeze or 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 fawn when I was a kid um all out freezing my dad kind of um responded badly to that so um as much as i could i would fawn but i did flee on occasion and now as an adult i have more power so so i opt to flee when i start feeling triggered or uncomfortable in a situation the problem is i think i flee situations that don't really require flight you know it's mm-hmm. what they used to they used to call in in the hospital a ninety ten reaction, where something happens in the present day and it's worth getting upset about. But when I'm when you know we're traumatized or um, folks with borderline when when we um, react to that that uh, current stressor, ten percent of what we're feeling is directly related to the current stressor. And 90% of the feelings are coming from the stuff that that stressor has triggered, the stuff that we carry with us. So we're reacting to 90% of the, so the, it seems like, oh, overreaction. <clears throat> it's because we're you know, reacting from the emotional load of, of all the similar stuff that still hangs on, hasn't, hasn't been dispensed. You know, trauma, you know, is, is stored in our bodies and in our brains and and it just sticks around and and comes back later and when it comes back later it causes problems we call that post-traumatic stress disorder that's my simple way of understanding this explaining it anyway i feel a little off today and i think i'm i feel like this um oh this kind of uneasy instability inside my chest and my abdomen like i'm not 
really like I can't get a good gauge on where my body is really sitting and and the the message in my brain that kind of goes along with that is is one of self-doubt um it's a weird feeling anyway we're you know but I it's it's okay I mean I can I can still be here do the podcast talk about things you know but, hey, um, that's okay. Kind of overall no. general feeling that has compelled me yeah. to um, to get to the point where I can tell my story and and try to free myself from some of that that energy that ninety yeah. percent that drags along and gets me more upset than I need to be over over stuff that, that doesn't really <laughs> doesn't really matter that much you know and 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 bless my girlfriend she's very understanding and. Sure. And um, in an episode, which you all will hear soon, um, it when you were talking about this, it just made me keep thinking of it. Like, I just know that you both will work through it in a healthy way. Like, even in the moment, if it doesn't feel healthy, because you both, I don't know, you just, you care so much. And you can, when somebody is like one of you two, I feel like, not just somebody, but anybody, it seemed like in the conversation, like you both are just so receptive to each other's triggers and perhaps like knowing when something's wrong, mm-hmm. that it's it's like that moment to step back and be like, oh, hold on. Okay, something, let me reassess what's the situation. And I think that's something to strive for. You know, I don't think a lot of relationships do that because having having moments like you're having is totally normal, you know? Maybe That's not, right. maybe That's not right. fueled by your um, experiences and stuff. Everybody has different ones, but mm-hmm. that that feeling is still a shared experience. You know, you don't feel right. alone in that, and just know that that the way you're handling it and going through it is so much healthier and something we should all strive to do. It's true. Yeah. It's true. Yeah, I hear I hear what you're saying. Not that any relationship's um, ever perfect, but if anyone was, I think it'd be you and Sammy. That's right. Uh, that's, that's I mean magi- that. that's magically uh reaffirming um to, to hear. I, I I guess I'm That's just from an outside I, I, third person yeah. perspective. <laughs> Relationships are, are challenging. Like we they t- we go to places of feeling that are difficult to deal with Mm -hmm. so maybe it's not you know all 90 10 relation uh, reaction it's it's also that uh, relationships are hard and people go through them and and feel these slights or these miscues and and it's devastating for people maybe not just me and just my trauma you know Mm -mm. um i see what yeah yeah I don't know if that's what you're saying. I was going to say, is, I see what you're that saying. That is what I'm saying. That is my, what I'm saying. But then it felt like, oh, I'm just, you know, kind of shoehorning you into, you know, reaffirming my straw man of you that I just created. No, but you you are, you're, you're reaffirming what I said. We're reaffirming each other. Okay, okay. So I guess I'm just, it's you know, there, like, um, you know, listener beware and, and Allie take care. I, I am feeling, you know, yeah. a little, um, a little okay. introspective and kind of a, um, um, a um, nervous little boy kind of a way, yeah. <laughs> I guess. And I, you know what? I want to say to all the listeners, too, like, this is a moment, like, be like Sam. You know that meme that's like, here's Sam. Sam has feelings. Sam feels his feelings. Be Maybe. like Sam. <laughs> like, it's okay to feel your fucking feelings, you know, and work through them like you're doing, like. I think a lot of times I was just talking with somebody men I, I literally this is on my brain like so bad right now men shy away from having feelings or like going through them you know and yeah. like uh, being like introspective like you are like you're like okay I I feel a little off but you're like let me look into it what's going on what can I do you're like active you're proactive and you're active whereas like other men I feel like typically are not <laughs> They're like, oh, feelings? Let's push them down. Let's just push them all down. Yeah, wow. You know, and that makes me think of my dad, um, and 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 um, you know, 
his feelings. I, I, not that I want to say it this way, but, um, but in, in romantic relationships, my dad would, would get to this point of something's upset him, something's bothering him. And he, he's not, he wasn't typically capable of, of saying, Hey, I feel kind of funny. I think, um, maybe some insecurity, maybe some nervousness. I, I, you know, like he, um, he, I think avoided feeling those things or admitting those things. And so when he talked about feelings, he was already uh, in a defensive position and in an angry accusing position. And so his emotional expression would come out like, I feel like you're a lying piece of crap. Um, or I feel like you, you need to be hit, you know, that kind of thing. Um, and so his relationships, you know, were, were largely unstable and many of them violent. I've told, I've told you that kind of the, him hitting me started when I was about 12 mm-hmm. and then I moved in with him and, um, you know, woman after woman that he brought out, um, seemed like the end was always, you know, a day later or a week later, he was getting mad and hit them. And, um, and it was awful to be, you know, seeing that probably awful for them to be going through it. And but I was normalizing the whole thing kind of in my head and I was already getting hit. He gets mad and he hits me. That's, that's my dad, you know, but I, I've thought a lot about, and, and we've been talking, we were just talking, you know, the other night about, about this, about, um, about this, uh, narcissistic, um, this narcissistic, uh, response in a relationship and, and, um, and how my dad would try to, um, try to control and, and limit my mom. Uh, and that's, that's how he managed his, his relationship insecurities, you know, instead of having meaningful sharing with my mom, he would just rail on her and make it all about her. And, um, and then tell her she couldn't have friends or she couldn't be around her family. And, um, and I don't do any of those things. So, you know, just, that, that act, that's good. Actually, I feel better about myself because of that. I, I, you know, I lived my, my whole, my whole life up to, uh, my late thirties, believing that, that, that God was working that way in my life. But yeah. That if, um, you know, if something didn't happen, well, that's good. I don't want it to happen because, you know, there's some other reason God's got this under control and, you know, he needed needed to play out another way. And and that, you know, telling the story that way sort of reaffirms, you know, oh, look, you know, and then you can find the the reason that it works and, you know, (laughs) anyway. Yeah, but it's good to talk about, it's good for me to talk about the stuff that I go through on a daily basis. It's, it's weird, but um, some of the hardest things to handle are just simple conversational misunderstandings for me. You know? Absolutely. It's hard for me to feel secure with, with people. And it's hard for me to feel like um, relationships are going to continue. Um or that, you know, I can trust other people. Those, those things become real challenges for me. Well, they are real challenges for me. Yeah. And I think they were, so I think they were challenges for my dad, um, but he handled them badly. And he projected his, um, his fear and insecurity onto the other um, as shame and, and pain and uh, and uh, man yeah i don't want to do that yeah you know? and, and i don't i mean i i like i said i tend to want to crawl under a rock i tend to want to hide and i you know and then i see that as dysfunctional and and maybe it's it's really not you know it's it's way more functional than than hitting and yelling at 
and shaming. And well, that's what I was thinking when you were talking about it. I was like, it's way better than what your dad was doing to react to situations. Right. My my reaction, you know, when you feel bad about having one, just think, right. you know, at least it's not that one. <laughs> right. There's a, Quite seriously. There's a, <laughs> I, I guess. I You know, I always um, feel like, um, well, that's, the bar's too low. Like, I can't. If I compare myself to my dad, like, um, it makes me, it makes me angry, you know, like, uh, and I, I don't know why, like over the years, people have, it, it doesn't make me as angry now, but I, I can recall getting angry in the, in the past when people would say, oh, well, you're not like your dad. It's so wonderful. And I'm like, really? Like he burned down houses, he killed people and, and we're proud of me because I'm not burning down houses and killing people. And I, and, and I get that people are really grateful that I'm not, <laughs> but, but, but I, part of the, part of my trauma response is it's hard for me to, to, um, to see a larger picture sometimes. So if someone says, Oh, you don't, you know, you don't, um, beat and, and, and kill people and, um, and, you know, shoot into houses and all that, um, I, I feel, uh, too focused on that, that one room and, um, which is why I, I think it's, it's good to talk about that childhood dream. I, I told you about my, my childhood dream of getting focused, but I, I think I get, and I, so we'll get to that, but I, I, I get focused on just that one statement. Um, that, oh, you know, it's, it's great that you don't murder people like your dad. And then my brain, my trauma parts of my brain fill that in with, that's all that's good about me. Or, you know, I'm exactly like my dad, but only different in that one way. And everybody's grateful for it. But that feels, it doesn't feel like enough validation for me as a person, you know? Yeah. Um, I get that, you know, people are grateful that I'm not killing them. But, um, but, you know, I, I've always wanted to be appreciated for being kind and considerate and, um, and a good person, not just not an, a really bad one, you know. <laughs> um, and it's, it's weird that I get caught up in that, but I, my brain does. So I have to remember the larger, the larger picture that, that when, you, when you say that to me, if that is one bit of information, it is not the whole package of everything you feel and think about me. You know what I mean? Yeah. Anyway, so I, I get stuck in, in that a little bit. Strange, strange. Well, I think, um, yeah, I wanted to talk about, um, about the, the dream and I want to talk about my mom's, um, a recurring dream from my childhood and I want to talk about my mom's family and how my dad cut us off uh, from them you know he, he by looking back he he systematically um, separated my mom from her family I think he was really insecure I know he was and it was threatening to him that my mom would have other people to talk to other people to support her and care about her, you know? And, um, I mean, it, I guess it's, um, I mean, it's not crazy on his part. He sees himself hitting his wife. He sees himself beating her, but he also wants her to love him and never leave him. And if she has people in her life who say, I love you, but don't hit her, you know, she might start to feel like, you know, she doesn't need him anymore. You know, um, I, I don't know if it's, if it's, if it's that simple, but it can be, um, I think that's a plausible, um, way to look at it, but he, um, he didn't like my mom going over to her parents' house anymore. He didn't like her seeing her sisters. She had a younger sister and she had an older sister. Just to give you an idea of 
of how much he excluded them from my mom's life. I didn't know that my mom had an older sister until I was 12 years old. Wow. I wasn't told about her. She wasn't mentioned in conversations. He would tell me stories about these people, Bob and sometimes Carol, but he wouldn't explain who they were. So I didn't know that's your aunt and uncle. I just knew they were the bad guy in the story he's telling. And he told a lot of stories. And honestly, I tuned out a lot. Now that I'm telling my stories on TikTok, I really wish I had paid attention more, you know, and taken notes because it's all interesting stuff for retelling. But I did not. Um, And I, you know, that's part of my story. And we're telling my story anyway. So screw his stories. (laughs) But a lot of them are lost, you know. Yeah. So, yeah, the guy. The guy that, uh, you know, murdered people and beat me for years. Sorry, everybody, but I, I cannot reproduce his interesting stories. Some of them. <laughs> but some of them were lost. He That's was a okay. douchebag anyway. That's you know, okay. it feels good to... He was know, a to big douchebag. He was a douchebag. You're what? It feels good to readjust my perspective. But I liked what you were going to say. He is a douchebag. Thank you. Thank you. Sometimes it's hard for me to get there. You know, early counselors would would tell me, you know, that I sounded a little too loyal to my dad, a little too forgiving, you know, and uh, I'd be like, oh, no, it seems a good dad. It wasn't so bad. Just I have these weird nightmares, you know, and and doctors would say, yeah, you know, I guess I think I know why you have these nightmares. (laughs) Like, oh, I have an idea. Um, No. Can I tell you my dream? Yes. So I had this dream, this recurring dream when I was a child. And it always started out the same way. I was in a, in a room that was a little bit, a little bit too dark. And I would go to turn on a light and the light would kind of come on, but not enough to light up the room. And I would start feeling this, this fear that I was going to be in the dark and I really needed to get the light on in the room. And I, I, you know, I, so, so the, the light wouldn't, and, uh, eventually it would just go out and then I would be looking around the room and you know how, when it's really, really dark, you can't really see colors anymore in the room. Um, you get kind of a, a gray scale kind of view. And this, so this is what I had in my dream. This room kind of went gray and I could only see where the walls were and kind of where the floor was sometimes. And I would look for an opening and, and there'd be a door way there and I'd head to the doorway. But when I went through, I'd be in another dark room. And so I'd look for the next opening. And the dream would would move forward like this. And, and I would be not walking anymore, but kind of floating, trying to get myself through that, that next doorway or that, or, or window opening. Um, but I'd always end up in another room looking for another way out. And while I'm, while this was happening, there would be this noise that would start to rise. Um, interestingly enough, later on in my teenage years, when I was reading the Bible and I'd had this dream five, six times over the years, I was reading a passage in the Bible about, um, a multitude murmuring. A murmuring multitude, murmur, murmur, murmuring multitude. That's a tough one. Um, and and it and I thought that's it. That's exactly what it, what it sounds like. This sound in my dream. It sounds like tons of people just whispering and slowly growing louder. And in my and so I'd be moving room to room to room, and this noise is raising. And I'm a little kid, and I don't know what the noise is, but it's alarming. And, and my speed traveling room to room to room would increase, the volume would increase, and then I would have like a pop or a snap inside my head. I could like feel it as I was waking up, like, uh, like, like you stuck your hand inside my brain and snapped your fingers really hard. And, and I would just wake up and oh my God, what a, a crazy dream again. But it, um, it ended up being something that we used in my trauma therapy. I had a, a counselor 
one of uh, one of my later picks. I got better at picking counselors as I went. But people ask about therapy. I recommend breaking up with the first one or two of them for some reason and then just moving on to somebody better. <laughs> but that's me, and I don't know if that, that works for everybody. Um, so I'm with this counselor, and she she's asking me, you know, describe the, the room, describe the floor. Is there any furniture? Describe the walls. What are the window openings like? What are the door openings like? And I'm trying to describe the fuzzy plain nature of all the items in the room and then she says what's the ceiling look like so she asked me what's the ceiling look like and i paused because i realized i didn't have a visual in my mind for what the ceiling looked like and she spotted that that pause and said okay wait so since your brain has not drawn in the ceiling yet that wasn't a part of the dream it doesn't sound like it doesn't sound like you have a memory of it that means that we could tell your brain anything about that ceiling and your brain will fill it in. So she said, I'd like you to do something for me. Let's imagine there is not a ceiling. And so I imagine that I'm going through these rooms, kind of a maze of rooms, which of course carries with it its own like failure shame. Like you mean like I'm, yes, of course that's my dream that I'm stuck like a rat in a maze moving room to room and all the time there was not even a ceiling on the, on the thing. But um, anyway, once I wrestled through my own feelings about it, uh, she, she had a helpful, uh, I can't remember how this happened, but she helped me to to decide to just float up above a room and notice rooms all around me. And we ended up using this because in, in, you know, dealing with PTSD and childhood trauma, any trauma, what happens? We get stuck there. Like think about the classic Vietnam vet meme, which was bigger in media when I was a kid because the Vietnam war had just ended. But the, the classic idea is here's this fellow that was in Vietnam and he's in modern day life, you know, and it's a, you know, trying to live through a normal situation, but in his brain, the, the bombs and the guns are going off and he's kind of stuck in that and can't escape that memory. That's the nature of PTSD, you know, or that's one, one manifestation. So, so when my therapist suggested um, suggested this, this was my way, my going to be my tool for dealing with those times when I'm stuck in a traumatic memory or feelings associated with it. And I really wish I could go to bed. I really wish I could do my job. I really wish I could engage with my kids. Um, but I'm stuck in this room. And so the tool we came up with is I would just imagine there's that room where these things happen, but just on the other side of the wall just over, I just went over the wall through the space with no ceiling. I would see that in the next room is a completely different memory. And it's, I know it's not how my brain's laid out, but I just imagine these, these rooms. One of the rooms is, you know, that I, um, that every day was not traumatic. One day might be another kind of a memory. One of those rooms contains the information that chocolate milkshakes are my favorite. It also contains a little bit of Spanish class um, because um, me, me batido favorito es chocolate. When people ask me to speak Spanish, that's what I always say. Uh, my favorite milkshake is chocolate. <sighs> but that's one of the rooms in my head. And when I do that, when I'm feeling totally stuck in, tra in a traumatic memory and I remember that I... I also love chocolate milkshakes. It helps me, like emotionally, to just step back a little bit. I don't have to deny the the traumatic memory. I, in fact, being able to step back and remember that I like chocolate milkshakes kind of started to help me. It helped me to be able to see what I was feeling in those traumatic memories. It helps me to be able to see how it affects me now because I don't feel as stuck in it. It was really important to me not to shut it off. Like early in therapy, I just wanted those memories and thoughts to go away. But, you know, when we 
we try to deny something, there's this resistance inside of us, right? We can't really deny ourselves for long without, without it bursting out somewhere. So that, that was just a, a super, super useful tool for me to remember that. And I think that what, what happened with my dad is, you know, he'd get stuck in those, those rooms of feeling and it, it was probably related to, you know, something that happened when he was very little and somehow he, he blamed his mom in the whole thing. So he would get into uh, a room where he's just an angry child, you know, finally lashing out his, at his mom, like, you know, Stewie finally killing Lois, you know? Um, but then, and, and that sounds morbid. I really like that show and I don't want to take them with, with my story, but, uh, <clears throat> But my dad would would be very violent and controlling with whoever's in his in his his vicinity right now and in, in, in the present moment um, from you know whatever emotion or, or little rat maze he was stuck in in his head and he couldn't really get out of it so he would you know take the whole thing to a different place where there's the beating and then you know, and then his victim, me or his mom or one of the other women is really contrite. We're really sorry. It's our fault. He's not bad. We know he loves us, you know, and we, and he would, you know, lead, lead me along into this place where suddenly we're getting along well. And I'm just grateful that he stopped hitting me and we love each other. And I know that I have the best dad in the world, um, which is its own kind of level of fucked up. But that's what my dad did with my mom in, in the real world. He didn't like her to go over to uh, to her parents' house. He didn't like her to see her older sister. And consequently, I didn't really get to know them. Um, and in my whole life, I didn't see much of them. So in the early days, you know, he my dad would didn't want my mom to ever see my her older sister. And when her husband... Bob, who was at one time one of my dad's close friends, when he tried to reach my dad and say, look, you, you know, they're sisters, you know, you can't, you know, come in between two sisters, they need to see each other, you know, and, you know, um, my dad then thought Bob was the enemy and even, even went to his place of work and, and surprised him by attacking him. Um, so just, you know, trauma trauma spread all around, but I didn't, uh, so I didn't, after that, after the attack, after my dad killed my mom, I did not see much of anyone from that side of the family. I saw my grandmother, Marjorie and, and her, um, her younger sister, June, maybe three or four times in, uh, in the next five or six years from after my mom died. So I wasn't very close to them. And after my dad died in 2006, so now I'm, now I'm late thirties, I decided I wanted to reconnect with, with them, with my mom's family. And I took a trip out to Seattle and, and even though I kind of was, you know, had an idea who some of these people were, I was meeting, I was kind of meeting people for the first time. Um, and especially, you know, it was me as an adult and, um, it really helped to um, to help me on the process of seeing my dad and and myself that whole experience differently because they're they're lovely people. My mom's family. They told me about when I was little, and my mom ran away with with me and and brought me up to Seattle from from Northern California to stay with them, and we were up there for like two or three weeks. And they were all trying to convince her, like, don't go back to Ernie, stay here. We'll help you raise Sammy. Everything's going to be fine. Please don't go. But my mom was really stuck in feeling sorry for my dad, feeling like, you know, really buying into that, that bull. Like I was talking earlier about how, how the process would go. Like, you know, there's get into the beating and then, you know, that he's, takes that to the place where I'm the one who's apologizing and I feel like I let him down and then, and then, and then we really love each other. And, 
and you know and she was trapped in in that room in her head even though we were up there in seattle and that that made her load me up and and go back down to eureka and and you know rejoin with my dad again and and of course that you know that led to the the tragic end but i'm i'm talking with my mom's family and they're just they're just lovely people especially can, compared to um, some of the folks I, I grew up with. Oh. And it, it's been so healing to go and, and visit them from time to time. Sammy and I just went out there in October, just last year, 2021, and spent a month out there. And, and um, it's definitely my family. You, do you feel like you identify more with them for sure? Yes, that's just what I was thinking. I mean, you know, we've talked so much, so I, I'm glad you, yes, I identify way more with them than I do, than I do with my dad's family. And I, I grew up even, you know, with everybody in, you know, in the extended family, you know, coming over for meals or get togethers. And, and so often someone would be looking at me out of the crowd of people and then announced to everybody in the room, you know, Sammy doesn't even look like one of the Christie's that's our last name. My dad's family's last name. And say so he doesn't even look like a Christie, you know, he, he looks like his mom. And, um, and, and as soon as someone said, Oh, but he looks like his mom, then everybody in the room would start recounting all the, the wonderful attributes of my mom. You know, I'd be hearing, oh, she was so artistic and so intelligent and so kind. So I was being cast as not really one of the Christies. Really, I'm like my mom. And then they would say all the praiseworthy things about my mom. So as a little kid, I'm hearing this stuff, and I definitely wanted to live up to that. I wanted to be that artistic, creative, intelligent son of my mother. And it was a very, it was a very positive thing. So um, when people would say, oh, you don't look like a Christie, I was fine with that. And, and when I went to Seattle as an adult to see my family, um, I really, really wanted to, I really wanted to feel that belonging. And, um, and they didn't disappoint me. They're, they've been very lovely and kind and, and very happy to have me. Oh. And I mean, that kind of leads into, that kind of leads into the, um, the pattern of, of my family. My dad was really abusive with me and really abusive with almost every woman that was close to him in his life. And he grew up with his dad telling him, well, you're not, you're not a Christie. You're, you're not even, you know, you're just a little boy and you'll never be half the man that I am. You're not a Christie. You're an Ashby because my, his mom, her maiden name was Ashby. So he would cast this like this, like you, you're, you're not a real man. You're an Ashby. You're not a Christie. You're not my son. You're, you know, you're her son and you're just a boy and you'll never, you know, amount to anything. And, and so it made him like, I think it created in him this desperation to prove that he was not like his mother, that he was a man. And, you know, so he fought and he fought his dad and, and he cast his mom as the enemy. So, you know, I never really heard, I know my grandpa was, was um, really awful to my dad at times, but my dad never spoke ill of my grandpa. Like he would tell stories like, can you believe grandpa said that to me? But he would never condemn his dad, but he would freely condemn his mom. His mom who, you know, was the one person doing everybody's laundry, cleaning the house, cooking all the meals, and also like, um, refereeing all the fights and making peace and you know grandma was the one who who insisted 
that everybody start going to church. My grandma and grandpa had both been raised in, in, you know, Christian homes. Um, not that, you know, I mean, it, that's pretty common in America since, you know, Christianity is still feels kind of obligatory or, or mandatory. It used to be that, you know, if you had questions or disagreed, they would just burn you at the stake or, or drown you, you know, and now, you know, like I can say, I'm an atheist and, and they let me for the most part, they don't come kill me for it, but, um, but I am, the response I get is not really, that's interesting. You know, why do you think that the response I get is, oh, that's so sad. Your soul is lost. <laughs> and, um, you know, we're all just going to desperately pray that you let go of all your bitterness toward God. And I'm like, no, 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 you don't understand. I'm saying I've come to this this place in my mind where I think, oh, this stuff isn't true. <laughs> but that's not really a, not really an approved, completely approved message yet. Um, in fact, I think it's still the law here in North Carolina that if you don't believe in God, you cannot hold public office. What? Yes. Yes. You heard me, right? I looked this information up, and Sam is right, as sad as it is. In the rules for running for office in North Carolina, Section 8 states disqualifications for office. The following persons shall be disqualified for office. First, any person who shall deny the being of Almighty God. That's fucking ridiculous. If you do not believe in God... You are not qualified in the state of North Carolina to hold public office. There's there's a rule about it. I don't know how well they enforce it. Uh, th th that's not very separation of church and state. Well, we should look it up. I don't know the details. You know, I'll hear things and then just incorporate yeah. them into my world knowledge. And the things may not be entirely accurate when I retell okay. them. I'm trying my best to be honest. Uh, but I, I don't know that I'm always, you know, accurate or, or trustworthy. So trust but verify, you know, okay. <laughs> anything you hear me say, it's a good thing to check on. Um, but okay. I, I ran across this years ago, you know, where, where someone was running for office and, and, and they, they pointed out, Hey, here's this North Carolina statute that, you know, you have to affirm that you believe in God or you're not qualified to hold public office. Oh. Anyway, we all had to believe. And my dad kind of took advantage of that, you know, because um, he could pressure me to turn the other cheek and forgive. And I felt like I had to. And he was right, even if he was the one that had been awful. Uh, instead of just trying, instead of him just owning it and apologizing and allowing me the choice of whether or not to forgive him, he would just, oh, well, you have to forgive me. You know, Jesus wants you to forgive, right? Well. Yeah. And I, I felt like in this bind, like, well, yeah, you know, so I have to, but, you know, no, when I was angry when I was a kid, I just shoved it, shoved it all down. <clears throat> uh, uh, anyway, the narcissist's uh, abusive control, I can't, um, sometimes I get thinking about him and, and all this stuff with my, with my mom and, um, and it's just hard to believe, you know, it's hard. Um, I'm telling the story on TikTok. We're doing this podcast um, and it is doing, it is accomplishing the goal that, that I thought it would, which is weird because my life doesn't usually work this way where I think of something and try it and then it, it works. <laughs> um, but it's really, it's really working. Like I'm starting to see more and more parts of the whole all coming together and it's hitting me just how sad and tragic all of this was, you know, yeah. like I, I excused everything as I went along. I found ways to just tuck it away underneath Jesus loves me and has a plan and, and my dad loves me and, you know, I tucked it away in a bunch of little boxes, but you open it all up and it's just a big mess of shit that my dad dumped on me. It's all right though. I think my, um, my compartmentalizing 
is is how I survived it, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, so he, you know, he handed me shit, and I put it in a bunch of little boxes and tucked it away, and was able to minimize how shitty that felt for me. And I mean, I did, you know, that's just that's I think that's common for kids to do that. Just you know, shut it out. Like you can't process it, so it didn't happen. We're not laying down memories. But there's something there that's left over, and um, sometimes, and you know it, there's something left over when you become an adult and you have mysterious anxiety and um, nightmares and flashbacks. And and if it reaches a point of, of dysfunction, you see kelp, then yeah, you might, you know, like me, find oh, oh yeah, I guess I should. You know, it would make sense that you know these things happened and I excused them. That I would be left with with this, uh, this pain to process later. And it's hard to go up to Seattle and see, see my mom's family because they all had to process Claire is dead. It seems suspicious. And Ernie is an absolute asshole. And, and that's it. We have to leave it at that. They had to go on with their lives, you know, and just just carry that hard reality and that's a really hard reality and now i'm i and i'm here thinking you know starting to entertain that my dad killed my mom and luckily that was not one of the things that was a surprise to them you know um the consensus up there was among among people close people who knew my dad and you know close in the family i think it's it's pretty much that it's always been the consensus that he probably killed her which is an even tougher pill to swallow, you know, or must have been for them. And uh, I, I'm hoping that, you know, telling all the stories and, and bringing some some uh, some notoriety to Claire uh, will be, you know, healing, healing for my family as well and, you know, for, for everybody. Well, Sam, what do you think? We're in the in the weeds of a dark story, and we're going to be there for a long time. Um, but hopefully, the process will become more comfortable for everybody as we put more of the pieces together going forward. And I, I just I appreciate you, Allie, for being here, and I appreciate oh. everybody who listens. It yeah. means so much to me to be able to tell these stories yeah. to to an audience of people who who truly care and um, and want you know want to be there for this yeah so just thank you thank you to everybody yes yeah, seriously thank you everyone i i appreciate getting to be here and you letting me be a part of this it's so i don't know it's just life-changing That's awesome it's well, good. And we're doing we're doing good stuff we're doing meaningful stuff that, we are and um and that i mean that's good for me too it's it's great to feel like i can craft some meaning out of what i went through yeah um, you know, as a young kid, as a Christian believer, I learned to attribute everything to the mysterious plan of God. Um, but there's not a lot of explanation, you know. Um, it's hard to get God to sit down with you and explain why things are happening the way they're happening. Yeah. Um, So thanks everyone for listening again this week. Um, I don't know about you, Sam, but I'm having a really good time doing this and I think it's just getting better every week and I'm so excited for the journey. Oh, that's, that's, that's really nice to hear. Um, and of course I appreciate you, you know, doing this, doing this podcast and, um, and I appreciate having everybody, all of our listeners along. Thank you for being here you individual listener listening right now thank you um this um this has been a this has been a fun week and and every week i i look forward to getting a little deeper into all these stories um you know for now i i just uh, i really like this this message um and hopefully it's helpful to people i think we all kind of get stuck in rooms if you will in our head yeah. or pathways in our head and I, it's been really helpful for me to remember that there's always a larger picture even if my perspective is feeling very limited 
it's always true that I like chocolate milkshakes. And um, and uh, oh, we mentioned the sound of music before, but that's anyway. I simply remember my favorite <laughs> things. I simply so remember. Oh, we lost that segment where we were singing. I know that was beautiful. That's you know, it's all we can do. We're not going to get stuck、okay. in the room of the recording that we lost. Okay.、Um, you know, maybe someday we'll find all these files and we can release them. You know,、maybe. Sam and Allie. Sam and Allie. <laughs> the lost files. The sound. Of, right. The sound、But、of I, music. Anyway, lost files edition.、Yeah. For my clothes, I just want to say thank you. Thank you to everybody for this for this opportunity.、Yeah. I appreciate it. And the same goes here. I appreciate everyone too. Bye, everyone. Bye. Thank you, Alex. Thank you, Sam. Okay. So okay. Stop recording. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of Frankly Earnest. You can now support the podcast by visiting anchor.fm/franklyearnest/support. Be sure to visit our Instagram for daily updates and posts for our links at Frankly Earnest Podcast. You don't want to miss out on Sam's TikTok at the Velvet Brick. See you next week.